heals a man born blind. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, 
Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world. Those, that, those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for your word that you give us that we might read these things, God, and see you and know you, God. And we are only able to do that by you opening up our eyes. I thank you for seeing that miracle this morning, um, for seeing what that miracle produces in people that are going and sharing your love and your works with other people so that they might have their eyes open through your word and to know you, God. I thank you for the church plants that are happening um, all over the world, even right here in Pecan Grove, God. And I just pray for us this morning as we hear your word, um, that the miracle that you've done in us, that we would go out and do it to others and um, speak your word to those that are lost and blind, that you might open their eyes and they might know you. We love you and we thank you. Uh, we honor you in all that we say and we do. And uh, we thank you so much for your gift of your son and what he's done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. They drew, they, they drew the short straw and had to read an entire chapter publicly. So can we just thank them for... That's intimidating, even if you're, uh, if you're a person who stands in front of people all the time. So uh, thank you guys so much for reading that for us. Uh, first, let me say what a, what a pleasure and honor, a joy it is for us to be with you guys this morning. Um, I drive past this parking lot on the way to serve at our sending church in Katy, and uh, I pray for you guys every Sunday as I see you unloading that trailer and putting the signs in the ground, and uh, I know that a lot of effort and volunteer work goes into making this happen, so uh, we love you guys. I met Lance about two years ago or so at Starbucks. Uh, I was fixing my coffee at the barista station, and this uh, strange man comes up behind me. He was kind of balding on top. He had these black rim glasses, and he says, what church do you work for? Totally burns me at Starbucks where I'm my, my incognito missional church planner living, okay? So, um, but since that time, just since a kindred uh, heart to Lance, and just uh, I love the mission that God has called you guys to, and uh, we pray that we can run side by side for years and years to come, seeing God's kingdom advance in our city. I believe that we will see the Lord do uh, miraculous, wonderful things through the church in this town together. So I'm so excited, honored to be here with you guys today. So here we are in John 9, this amazing account of this man born blind. And this entire story is really a story about sight. It's about seeing. Now, this book that we just read from is, is not uh, merely a how-to book. Okay, sometimes we think of the, um, the, 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 the handbook for Christian living and we just pull it out whenever big stuff happens in life or we uh, have a decision, right? We, we'd love to have black and white answers about, you know, do I buy that house? What, you know, what educational choices do I make for my children and all the little things that happen in our lives that we face. But the Bible really isn't 
meant to be simply a how-to book or a, a manual for living, but it's actually meant to be a new way of seeing. God's word is actually a, a, a new set of eyes, and the question isn't just how, but it's really more importantly, who and what? Who and what? The great who from cover to cover of this book is God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is the great who of the Scripture. What? The great what is this? What is he like? One of my favorite authors, speakers, pastors of, uh, of, of American past is a man by the name of A.W. Tozer. And he said this in a book called Knowledge of the Holy. He said, uh, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I'll say that again. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And what he went on to say is that our lives have this, we have the, the, the image of God that we hold in our mind. Our lives will, will find uh, conforming to that image. And so what we think about God, what he's really like, who he really is, is extremely extremely important. Here we have, if you want to look at verse 5 with me, I want to start here and then we're going to kind of back up and look at some other things. But in verse 5, Jesus says this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now, here's the problem that you and I face is that you and I live in a very shadowy land. Here's what I mean by that. Every swipe of your phone, every uh, commercial, every billboard, every TV show, every movie, every song you hear, all of it has a message inside of it. And that message is about ultimate reality. It's saying in itself, here's, what's, here's what matters. Here's, what, here's how things really are. To add to that, we have a sin nature. We're born into this sin thing. And even as believers in Christ, we battle within ourselves. We have this bent that wants to go the wrong way, to do the wrong thing, to think wrong things, to say wrong things. We have this inward battle. Let's just add another layer on top of that, is that you and I were born into broken family systems. Amen? Okay? Let's just be honest. Let's just call it like it is. Even the best family that you could have been born into was broken, right? And, and so it, we have this warped thing in us, really just even out of the families that we come from. And let's just put the cherry on top. The scriptures tell us that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, that we have an enemy. There's an evil one who wants to stomp out your faith, and he does that by distorting, perverting, warping your view of who the Father really is. We live in a shadowy land, but we can find hope this morning that we have the light of the world. Here's my first point. If you want to know who God really is and what he's really like, Look at Jesus. Let me think about that. I am the light of the world. Have you ever been uh, in pitch, pitch black before? 
A few years ago, we took our kids to the, the inner space caverns. I don't know if you guys have ever done that before, and you take that rickety little uh, escalator thingy down, like way down deep into this cavern, and, and the stalactites and the stalagmites and the blind cockroaches and all that kind of crazy stuff that they have down there, right? And, and they get down there, and part of the tour is that they always turn off the lights. Have y'all, have y'all done that before? Or they turn off the lights, and, and you're way below the earth's surface, right? So there's no sunlight and literally every light in the place goes off and and you cannot see your hand in front of your face. It is pitch black. See, Jesus says here, I am the light of the world. He He doesn't say I am a light. He doesn't say I am the brightest light. He says I am the light. Of the world, which means this apart from Jesus, we have no light to see who God really is and what He's really like. He is the light of the world. As the author of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3 says this He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He reveals God to us. So, This next logical question for us is, what specifically is Jesus revealing here? Well, what I want us to do is take three sets of characters that are in this account of Jesus and look at how uh, Jesus reveals the Father, who he is and what he's like. We're going to start back at the beginning of the story. So Jesus has just had another encounter with the Pharisees and the Jews. He's been in the temple. He's been teaching. There's disagreement. There's a a, a fighting of words breaking out. Jesus says hard, hard things. Lance talked about that last Sunday. And now he's leaving that scene, leaving the temple. And it says he passes by a man born blind. And his disciples ask an interesting question question. The first set of characters that I want us to look at is the disciples. Let's read this question starting in verse 2. And it says, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's a revealing question. Underneath that question is the question of why. Why did this happen? Surely we have things in our lives that we question. We're like, Lord, why did this happen? Why did so-and-so's child have this thing happen? Or or why am I like, you know, X, Y, Z? And we have why questions. And what they're getting at is who's to blame for this? Right? Who sinned? Was it this man? Or was it his parents? They're asking a question that's really from a viewpoint, an understanding of the Father, that was this, judgment. It's a good Jewish question. In in the Ten Commandments, the second commandment is this, you shall not make an idol for yourself. You shall not bow down to it. You shall not worship it. And then he has this little clause added onto this commandment. It says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love 
to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So they're kind of showing a little like Jewish uh, wisdom, prowess of asking a question of like, who's to blame? Jesus, however, answers it in a very, very different way. He answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be what displayed in him. That the works of God might be seen, displayed. Jesus, the light of the world. Here's the first thing that we can learn from this. Is that when the disciples saw judgment... Jesus saw opportunity. When the disciples are thinking blame, Jesus is thinking mercy. You see, my second point is this. In Jesus, we see a God of mercy. A God of mercy. Every now and then in our culture, in our media, some sort of flagrant statement is blasted out there uh, on the news or on Twitter or whatever. And it's like this um, from some Christian group. Uh, We could probably list some of those groups off, but I won't even give them the pleasure of being mentioned in our sermon today. But it's a a tweet or a quote that is just so, um, it's so uh, such a narrow understanding of God. And, it's, and it feels like it has a shred of truth in it surrounded by a whole lot of untruth. Does that make sense? Like this very narrow understanding of who God is. And all it does is it just this breeds this hate, this judgment, this condemnation. And see, Jesus shows us the full frame God, the full picture, not just the narrow picture, but he opens his disciples' minds, their hearts, to see God in a bigger and a more accurate way. The disciples, Jesus in James 2, he, he, he reveals to them what James 2.13 says, that the God in whom mercy triumphs over judgment In Jesus, we see the God of mercy. The second group of people that I want us to look at today is the Pharisees and the Jews. Now, we've talked about these encounters that Jesus has had with the Pharisees and the Jews. And there's something kind of maybe a little bit hidden in this account that I just want to make sure that we catch and we pick it up starting in verse 13. If you want to look back with me in verse 13, uh, the neighbors who have been so excited about this man receiving his sight, right? And and they're like, you know, is this the guy? I don't think so. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm the guy, right? He's telling them, look, I'm right here. I'm the man. And they're excited. They take him to the Pharisees in their excitement. And obviously they're not so excited about what's happened. In verse 13, it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, and now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know if you have a child that likes to push that same button over and over again, like with their brother or their sister. Jesus is pushing a Sabbath button over and over and over again with the Pharisees and the Jews. And and this healing of the mud on the eyes, 
I was reading the commentators about the mud, and there's all these beautiful um, metaphorical things that we could draw out of the mud, right? Of why did Jesus use mud? But here's the first thing we really need to understand. In the Sabbath regulations of Jesus' day, it was, um, it was not allowed for a person to knead dough, knead it with a K, okay, to, to make dough. And so Jesus, if you're just picturing this scene, this blind beggar on the side of the road, Jesus, I just picture him kneeling down, beginning to spit in the dirt. And it's not like just a, like a little bit of spit, but to make clay, okay, it's, like a, it's kind of like an uncomfortable amount of saliva is going into the ground, okay? I, I don't know how he did that. That was kind of miraculous in itself that Jesus was able to do that, right? But, but what he's doing is he's kneading mud. And then he anoints the man's eyes and breaks the Sabbath regulation. And he says to the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, here's the thing about the pool of Siloam. From the nearest point of the temple where he could have possibly seen the man, it was a further walk to the pool than would be allowed on a Sabbath day. So what Jesus says is, look, I want you to go wash yourself. And he commands the man to go further than the law would have allowed him to go to be washed. What's Jesus doing here? He's creating a dilemma. Has God ever made a dilemma in your life before? He's creating a dilemma for the Pharisees and the Jews, and he's hitting the Sabbath button, and it's not like he just bends the rules. He breaks them in a gloriously flagrant, public fashion. He, uh, there's four-letter words that we could use to talk about what Jesus did to the Sabbath regulations. Okay, it was really flagrantly bad. Okay? And so we don't want to miss that in this story, there really is something happening that in giving one man's sight, he's blinding another Giving sight to one, he blinds the other. Why is that? Well, they're like us. We make boxes. We have a box. We have a box in which God can move. Outside of this box, nope, that God does not move this way. He moves here. This is how God does things. We build these boxes, and the Pharisees had uh, rules built on top of rules and surrounding other rules, which the rule of the Sabbath was this, do not work on the Sabbath, keep it holy. And they thought, let's improve this a little bit. Let's add some more things onto this. And before we know it, we are walking in a heavy yoke of religion. Here's the deal. Jesus refused to play by their rules. He's not a God under someone's thumb. He is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is the box breaker. 
And that is what he does for the Pharisees and the the Jews. They cannot see him. They're blinded by their boxes. And let's just bring this just a little bit closer to home. What specifically are the boxes that you and I have made for him? Just, Just an idea, just one idea is... This idea that God would ever use suffering, hardship, for good in our lives. Like that doesn't fit into our box, our picture of who God is. That he would allow something difficult to happen so that it would, it would form character and endurance in us. And we could go scripture after scripture to, to refute that idea. But yet it just doesn't fit our box. And yet Jesus uses suffering in our lives. Or maybe it's this, like you, you think in your box, like Jesus could never use someone like that. Or Jesus could never use someone like me. Or how could God ever use a such and such kind of leader or such and such kind of pastor or such and such kind of church because our doctrine is so different and blah, 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 blah. And we just have boxes. And, and here's the problem is that God just refuses to play by rules. He blows up our boxes. This is my third point. In Jesus, we see the big, uncontainable God who breaks our categories. This big, uncontainable God who breaks our categories. In Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, uh, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. He says this, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You see, Jesus reveals a very big God, very big God, who doesn't come to affirm our preferences, but he actually comes to display his glory. He breaks our boxes. He breaks our categories. Lastly, the the last character that I want us to spend some time looking at, and, and, and we cannot miss this one, is the man born blind. I mean, what an amazing story of this man. We've seen um, this kind of degeneration, like these, the, the Pharisees and the Jews are doubling down on their unbelief, right? They are, um, you know, the, the heat is on, the religious pressure is there on the family and on the man, and we see them just like progressively almost getting blinder and blinder, and yet we see this, the very opposite in the man born blind, who's, who's given f- physical sight, And yet he begins to progress in spiritual sight. He says he's a prophet. He goes on to say, you know, they're like, you know, this man cannot be from God, right? He does something that's just so ungodlike for us. And he says, hey, look, from the creation of the world, no one's ever seen a man uh, born blind restored to sight. And so I I don't know how he could be a sinner because God doesn't listen to sinners. And, And we just see this faith rising in this man throughout the story. And what does Jesus reveal to us? What does he show us about the Father through the man born blind. Well, 
Number one, let's not miss this. He's the God of miracles. Amen? He's the God who takes a man who, it's not that he used to see and can't see anymore. It's the man who never, ever was able to see, and he gives that man sight. He's the God of miracles, the God who takes broken things that do not work, that do not function, and he changes them miraculously, and he makes them work, and he makes them function. How beautiful is that? If one of you here was physically blind, and you got prayed over this morning, and you started to see, I mean, we would have the band go just a little bit longer, wouldn't we? We'd be doing laughs around the room. We'd be celebrating, partying, because God has done something so powerful in our midst. Jesus is the miracle worker. He reveals the God who does the impossible, God who heals. We also see this man, he's, he's sitting there in the dirt. This is, man, this is such a beautiful picture of the gospel for us. This man who's sitting, begging on the side of the road, he's not asking for sight. He didn't plan on getting his sight that day or ever. And Jesus comes to him. I mean, that's just, that's the gospel, isn't it? You and I, dead in our sins and our trespasses, totally living an empty way of life apart from any God or knowledge of God. Maybe we knew about God, we knew about church, whatever, but our hearts were dead and Jesus came to us. We didn't come to him. We didn't have that all planned out. But he came to us and he gives sight to a man. He reveals a God of compassion who takes the initiative. But here's where my heart lands this morning. Verse 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, now that's, that's a whole sermon in itself. We won't go there. But he finds him cast out. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. As I was preparing for this, um, this teaching this week, this is where my heart landed. Because, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff in my life. I'm, you're probably like me in that. You've seen a lot of things. You've seen uh, a lot of brokenness. I've seen a lot of pain. I've seen my empty way of life before knowing Jesus. I've seen a lot of, a lot of bad things. I've seen a lot of iffy things. I've seen some great things. I've seen beautiful things. I've seen church. I've seen religion. Nothing compares to seeing Jesus. Just let that rest on you. Nothing compares to seeing Jesus. What Jesus ultimately reveals is the one worth seeing. My prayer for you, above anything and everything, is this, that you would 
see him. Not physically. He opens his eyes at the end of the story, not at the beginning, when he says, you have seen him. Jesus reveals the one worth seeing. So, as we close this morning, I want to talk to two types of people in the room. First type of person, you are the man or the woman born blind. Just like me, just like everybody else in the room. But you have never seen Jesus. I want you to know this, that Jesus came to you. Jesus comes to you. Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus goes to a cross and all of the, all of the stuff and our sin nature that's bent and doing all this crazy stuff, all of that goes on to him and all of the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus comes on to you when you receive his work on your behalf. And that happens not by cleaning up your life, not by uh, your good deeds beginning to outweigh your bad deeds. That happens by faith and by faith alone, as we sang earlier, by grace alone. And Jesus here is passing by and he wants to open eyes. He is still the God who gives sight. And maybe today is your day to have your eyes open to see him for the first time The second person that I want to talk to in the room today is the person who has seen him but desperately needs to see him again. Like the disciples, we we just have this little bitty view of God and maybe you you knew God in in this beautiful way and and you saw like the love and the grace and the mercy and yet life has hardened you. You've had difficult circumstances and your view of God is just getting smaller and darker and littler and less loving and less good. And I just want you to know that Jesus today comes to restore your sight. And I love how the man ends in this passage, he worships. The quality of your worship really tells the quality of your view of him. May God restore our sight this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, light of the world, that we do not have to stumble around in darkness, but that, Lord, you have made a way for us, that you have shed light, Lord, when we could not see our hand in front of our face, Lord, you have come revealing mercy, grace, truth. And so, Father, I ask this morning for those who... Um, who have never seen you. Father, I'm asking in the powerful, miraculous name of Jesus that you would open eyes, that faith would be born, that hearts would come alive in you. And Father, that you would do, Lord, what, what no one has been able to do from the beginning of the world in giving a person sight. Father, I pray for those here this morning, Lord, who uh, have seen him. They've seen you, Jesus, and yet they just so desperately need to see you again. Father, I'm asking 
in the powerful name of Jesus that you would open our eyes again to see the beauty, the knowledge, the truth, the mercy of you, Jesus. Lord, forgive us for our boxes. We thank you that that you are bigger than our boxes. And so we ask that you would move powerfully and mightily in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.